You're listening to the Manchester Vineyard Podcast. We'd love for you to join us. To discover more about who we are, where we meet, and how you can connect with us, head to manchestervineyard.org or follow the link in the podcast description. Hello. <laughs> so my name's Hettle, and I'm one of the assistant pastors here at Manchester Vineyard. And have you ever received an invitation you were so excited to receive? I remember in year seven, because I was a part of a couple of sports teams, I was invited to go to France for a water sports holiday. And to level with you, year seven was the only year I was involved in sports teams. I went from being the third tallest to the third shortest in the class in the space of a year, which seriously wrecks my career in sports. And I love swimming, and I really fancied the idea of water sports. So I was thrilled with the invitation. And it did not disappoint. I had the best time. Banana boating, kayaking, windsurfing, all in the beautiful French sun. And I even managed to achieve the unachievable. Me and a friend capsized a boat that was known to be uncapsizable. I had a blast. Now, compare that invitation to receiving your annual invitation in your emails to renew your car insurance. Now, that's an invitation I dread receiving. Not only is it way too much money, but they always try to trick you by raising your prices year on year. And when you go to cancel your renewal, as you found a cheaper company to go with, they don't let you do it online. So you have to call up and wait for 10,000 hours to speak to someone on the phone just so you can cancel your renewal. It's such a frustrating process. It's worth noting that our response to an invitation not only depends on what it is, but who it is from. So imagine being invited to a dinner party by a colleague. You don't know that colleague very well. Occasionally you chat to them as you make a brew. Maybe you actually struggle to keep a conversation going with them. So if you're being honest with yourself, when you receive that invitation, you say yes on the basis of free food and hope you can make a swift exit at 10 p.m. Well, compare that to being invited to a dinner party by someone you really love or admire. This could be a family member, a friend, someone in the, pub in the public eye, a hero in your line of work. When you receive that invitation, you cherish it. You immediately say yes, you turn up on time, you bring a bottle of wine, and you stay past midnight. Our response to an invitation depends on what the invitation is for and who it is from. And today we're going to look at the response of some of the first disciples to Jesus' invitation to follow him. We're in the series of How To, which is framed around the book of Luke. We're looking at how to be equipped to do the stuff of the kingdom. So today we're looking at how we can respond to Jesus' kingdom invitation to follow him and his kingdom called to become fishers of people. Jesus' invitation is one we do well to listen to afresh today because it comes from the most admirable, worthy, and powerful person we know. And because the invitation he offers to follow him leads to an abundant, purposeful, and meaningful life. It's the best invitation we're ever going to receive. So my prayer for us all today is that we respond afresh to Jesus and say our wholehearted yes to him again, to follow him and to embrace kingdom living. So we're in Luke 5, um, verses 1 to 11. So if you, ha if you have Bibles, please do turn to it now. And I'm just going to read. One day as Jesus was standing by the lake of Gennesaret, the people were crowding round him and listening to the word of God. He saw at the water's edge two boats, left there by the fishermen, who were washing their nets. He got into one of the boats, the one belonging to Simon, and asked him to put him out a little from the shore. Then he sat down and taught the people from the boat. When he'd finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out into deep water and let down the nets for a catch. Simon answered, Master, we've worked hard all night and haven't caught anything, but because you say so, I will let down the nets. 
When they had done so, they caught such a large number of fish that their nets began to break. So they signaled to their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And they came and filled both boats so full that they began to sink. When Simon Peter saw this, he fell at Jesus' knees and said, Go away from me, Lord, I am a sinful man. For he and all his companions were astonished at the catch of fish they had taken. And so were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, Simon's partners. Then Jesus said to Simon, Don't be afraid. From now on you will fish for people. So they pulled their boats up on shore, left everything, and followed him. So in this passage, we see Jesus inviting the first people to follow him, to become one of his disciples, and to live on mission for him. And the passage is relevant to us today for many reasons. Firstly, in its original context, it isn't written as a salvation moment passage. Simon Peter and the disciples don't recognize Jesus as God or his mission to save them at this point in the gospel. Instead, this passage acts as an unending invitation from Jesus to say yes, to trust him. The invitation to follow Jesus is an invitation that is present every day of our lives, an invitation that is open to us every single moment of every single day. An invitation that Jesus asks us to respond to again and again. And then secondly, following Jesus is our basic and primary calling in our lives. We cannot be Christians or do anything in our lives as Christians without following Jesus. Following him is what it means to be a Christian. So we need to know how we are to appropriately respond to Jesus' invitation to follow him. And what it looks like to follow him in all aspects of our lives. And then thirdly, in the passage, Simon Peter is depicted as a representative disciple. Jesus got into Simon Peter's boat and asked him to let down the nets. When a miraculous number of fish are caught, Peter falls to his knees. And Jesus responds to him, telling him to fish for people. But the last line of the passage, verse 11, says, So they pulled up their boats, up on shore, left everything, and followed him. So Simon Peter acts as a representative disciple of the other fishermen on the scene. But not only does he act as a representative disciple of those on the scene, he acts as a representative disciple for us today and for the church now. The invitation for Peter to follow Jesus and be on mission for him is the same invitation we receive as individuals and as a church today. We're meant to put ourselves in Peter's shoes and read this passage as a fresh invitation to follow him again. So like you and me, there is nothing special about Simon Peter or his business partners. They're just ordinary fishermen doing what they do every day, which is no different from us as we go about the humdrum of our everyday lives. And this passage shows us how Jesus enters into the normal and mundane lives of ordinary folk like Peter, ordinary people like you and me, and changes everything, transforming them into instruments for God's use. And it's incredibly exciting. So this scripture is very relevant to us today as followers of Jesus. And in the passage, we see Peter responds to Jesus' invitation in three ways, each of which we can learn from. He responds in obedience, humility, and commitment. So we're going to take these one by one and see what they teach us about our response to Jesus' invitation to follow him. Then we'll look at the mission we're to participate in as a result of our commitment to follow Jesus. So firstly, obedience. So if you remember, Jesus is teaching on the shore. It's busy, so he asked Simon Peter to put him out a little in the water so he could teach from there. 
then, verse 4, when he'd finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out into deep water and let down the nets for a catch. Simon answered, Master, we've worked hard all night and haven't caught anything. But because you say so, I will let down the nets. Here we see Peter's response is one of obedience. Because you say so, I will let down the nets. So the first thing to note is that Peter is obedient because it's Jesus. Because you say so, I will let down the nets. He does it because Jesus said so. Not because a friend said so, not his mother or father, some other rabbi, the Romans, or authority figure. He does it because Jesus said so. And this speaks of his primary allegiance. His primary allegiance is to Jesus, and it's the same for us. We can value the input, the advice, and, wi and wisdom of those around us, our friends, family, spouse, leaders, people we admire. But our ultimate allegiance is to Jesus. We are obedient first and foremost to him. As the creator, sustainer, rescuer of the universe, as the God of love, mercy, grace, and justice, he demands our ultimate obedience. And this is something that can be tricky for us today as we live in a culture which is not obedient to Jesus. Our culture values individualism, doing whatever we want, whenever we want. It values self-reliance, puts emphasis on our own rights and liberties, encourages independence, autonomy, and personal achievement. At the crux of the matter, the problem is, is that it calls us to be firstly obedient to ourselves and not to Jesus. Because I say so, Jesus, I'm not going to be obedient to you. Because I say so, Jesus, I'm not going to be generous with my money or prioritize your kingdom. It puts us in the driving seat. And it's something we're all influenced by, whether we realize it or not. Peter's response is all the more striking to us today in our culture of individualism. Jesus calls us to be obedient to him first, because it's him. So as followers of Jesus, it's worth us taking the time to think through which areas of our lives we may be choosing to be obedient to ourselves rather than to Jesus. And we would do well to follow Peter's example of obedience. It's also important to note that it wasn't an understandable or sensible thing that Jesus had asked of Simon Peter. What Jesus had asked of Peter just didn't make any sense. Firstly, because what Jesus asked of Peter is ridiculous and it's just not going to work. He asked Peter to put down his nets to fish in broad daylight. For fishermen at the time, that would have been an almost humorous request. Fishermen used these giant nets that they would haul over the boat and bring back up again until they caught fish. But importantly, they only ever did it at night, as in the day, the fish would see the net. So fishing in the day would have been seen as comical. I wonder how often we resist obedience, because whatever Jesus is asking of us seems illogical, ridiculous, or impractical. I can imagine we do it quite a lot. We can struggle to make sense of many of Jesus' commands or claims. Jesus says things like, love our enemies, which can feel ridiculous when it doesn't seem like it's what our enemy deserves. He says, do not worry about your life. I mean, that's almost funny. How is that practical at all? If any of you have nailed that commandment, please come talk to me. <laughs> he also says, whoever finds his life will lose it, and whoever loses his life for my sake will find it, which speaks of a radical self-denial and submission to Jesus as the path to fullness of life which for many of us may sound a bit upside down. It's not only his commands and claims we can struggle with, but also the call he puts on our lives. 
For me, an example of this would be my move to Manchester. I was studying at Nottingham Uni and in the final year of my degree, and I felt the Lord speak to me about moving to Manchester. Not only moved to Manchester, but to start my first job as a newly qualified doctor part-time. So for me, this was highly impractical. When I heard this call, I'd literally been on one date with this guy I'd been interested in for a good period of time. We'd finally started dating, and, God, and suddenly God wanted to whisk me away, which I feared would scupper my chances of a relationship with him. Also, for me, it seemed silly to start my career as a doctor part-time at 60%. Not only would that take a huge hit on my finances, but it would seem laughable to my colleagues, so my reputation would take a hit, and it would significantly slow down my career progression. In a worldly way, it didn't make any sense. But through a kingdom lens, it did make sense. Moving to Manchester meant I became part of Manchester Vineyard. And working part-time meant I could get really stuck into serving the church in various ways, in a way I wouldn't have been able to if I was working full-time. And I've seen the Lord grow, equip, and use me to do the stuff of the kingdom through my obedience to move to Manchester and to work part-time, in a way I would never have seen if I'd stayed in Nottingham. And wonderfully, the guy had started dating, long story, but we got married. (laughs) So if I'd allowed the fact that God's call just didn't make any sense to me, sway me from obedience, I would have missed out on a significant blessing that God had for me. Jesus is calling us to be obedient to him, even when his commands, claims, or call seem ridiculous or impractical. The second reason Jesus' request didn't make any sense is because they'd had a bad and unfruitful night. Simon answered, Master, we've worked hard all night and haven't caught anything, but because you say so, I will let down the nets. They'd worked hard overnight, but with no results, no fish to show for it. They were discouraged, frustrated, maybe even dismayed. And all of us know what this is like. We're not unfamiliar to disappointment, discouragement, and boredom. We can work so hard in our careers, at a relationship with our children, for the kingdom, and things just don't go the way we hope for striving, struggling, but with meagre results. We have days when life just seems a bit empty, our hopes are dashed, and it just doesn't seem like we're getting anywhere. Days where the world seems like a dark place, our circumstances may overwhelm us, and our fears threaten to sink us. We worked hard all night, but nothing. Jesus calls us to be obedient in the midst of our disappointments and frustrations, He calls us to obedience, even when conditions may be dark and it feels like everything is against us. We need to be obedient to Jesus, even if it doesn't seem practical, even if it doesn't suit our agenda or work for us, even if we're having a bad day. Jesus tells us in this passage that a good enough reason for obedience is just because he said so. The thing is, if we've never just taken Jesus at his word and been obedient to him because he said so, we may have run the risk of seeing Jesus' teachings as advice rather than commands. So let me say that again. If we've never been obedient to Jesus just because he says so, when it's against our own agenda, seems impractical, or doesn't benefit us, then the likelihood is we're seeing Jesus' teachings as advice to consider rather than a command to be obedient to. I think we know how this goes. Jesus tells me to not put any other gods before him. Well, that's okay, Jesus. I don't believe in any other gods, so I'm down with that. Thank you, Jesus, for that advice. I'm happy to follow that one. But Jesus also tells me to reach the lost and serve the poor. 
but doing those things are highly impractical for me, Jesus. If I do them, then I can't spend my weekend the way I want it. There's no obvious benefit for me. And actually, that just sounds quite scary and costly. So thanks, Jesus, for the good advice. But I'm okay. I'm quite happy with the week, my week the way it is. That's quite an obvious example, but often it's more subtle, or we don't even realize it's happening. Not loving someone equally who we may struggle with, withholding forgiveness, and so on. Obedience is doing what Jesus said just because he said so, despite how impractical, ridiculous, or unbeneficial it may seem. Trusting his goodness, love, and mercy for us. Trusting that he is God. He knows what is best for us. And also knowing that there are consequences to our disobedience. Disobedience leads to a rift in our intimacy of God. Hurting ourselves, hurting others, missing out on a blessing that God so freely wants to give to us, and so on. We need to choose obedience to him. So what was the result of Peter's obedience to Jesus? Verse 6. When they had done so, they caught such a large number of fish that their nets began to break. So they signaled their partners in the other boat to come and help them, and they came and filled both boats so full that they began to sink. The result of Peter's obedience was a miraculous provision. After fishing all night and getting nothing, they dropped their nets at Jesus' command and catch such a huge number of fish that their nets begin to break, they need more than one boat, and even their boats begin to sink. An average ancient fishing boat was around eight meters long, so that's a lot of fish. More fish than they'll ever have caught before, and enough to give them a significant financial boost. Peter's obedience to Jesus led to significant blessing for the disciples. So following Jesus really pays off. In this passage, we see the immediate benefit of Peter's obedience, that miraculous catch of fish. And in my life, in the example of moving to Manchester, the benefit wasn't immediate, but something I've been able to appreciate as the years have passed by. And my hope would be that the benefit of many of our moments of obedience will be obvious. But of course, there'll be moments when we're obedient and the benefit never seems obvious. And it's here when we hold on to Jesus, trusting that he does know what's good for us. And when we grasp onto hope in the life to come, one where there'll be no pain or fear or disappointments. A life where the blessings of following him will be so, so obvious. We need to be obedient to Jesus' invitation like Peter was, just because he said so, despite our culture, feelings or circumstances, regardless of whether it suits us, trusting in the goodness and blessings that will follow now or in the life to come. So next up, humility. We can learn much from Peter's humble response to Jesus' invitation. Verse 8 onwards, we see Peter's response to the huge catch of fish. Verse 8, when Simon Peter saw this, he fell at Jesus' knees and said, Go away from me, Lord. I am a sinful man. For he and all his companions were astonished at the catch of fish they had taken. At the sight of the catch, Peter falls down on his knees and declares himself a sinner. Why did he react like this? The likelihood is that Peter knew that what had happened was no accident. They weren't quite literally drowning in fish because they'd had a lucky catch. He knew that only an agent of God could have manufactured such an incredible catch of fish in the middle of the day. Peter does not recognize Jesus as God at this point, but he certainly realizes that God is working through him. So Peter reacts in humility, becoming quickly and acutely aware of his sinfulness, aware of his unworthiness of God's blessing, of being in the presence of a man of God. 
When we come into the presence of the Holy One, when we see his unbelievable power, purity, limitless knowledge, his loving and just heart, it can be too much to handle. And we recognize the vast difference between ourselves and the Holy One before us. We quickly realize that we are unworthy, that we are nothing in comparison to him, and that the rightful response to him is to bow down before him. As a consequence of this, if our response to Jesus isn't one of humble submission, then we may not properly know or appreciate Jesus for who he is. If we don't bow before Jesus, the likelihood is that we just don't know him. And I think that's actually surprisingly easy to do today. For some of us, it might be because God is so complex, so we try to simplify him to understand him and in the process miss vital aspects of who he is. For others of us, it may be due to Christian culture. Many Christian teachers emphasize our relationship with Jesus, being known and loved by him, which I'm all for. It's so, so true. But they may fail to expand on the richness of Jesus' love. His love is more than a fuzzy feeling inside. His love is fierce. It seeks justice. It burns away impurities. It destroys evil. His love is awe-inspiring and powerful the kind of love that causes you to bow down in humble submission. And as a side, it's worth us noting here that an encounter with Jesus isn't always comfortable. In the vineyard, we're people of his presence. We believe that God wants to meet with us every day through his Holy Spirit. And so we invite the Holy Spirit to manifest his presence regularly. And as people of his presence, it's worth us knowing that our encounters with Jesus will not always be comfortable. In fact, it might often feel like conflict. We might feel drawn into his love, know his forgiveness and acceptance, but also feel exposed like Peter. In his presence, we are known and loved, but God also deals with our stuff. He burns off our sin, our unhealthy habits and desires. He deals with words that have been spoken over us, releases us from fears and anxieties, from the schemes of the enemy. We might draw close to Jesus in that time, but also, like Peter, find it all too much and want to draw away. And I know I've experienced God in this way. I've had moments of feeling his, ludge, his love just flood over me. But also moments where the power of his presence was so strong that I felt the fear of the Lord. The healthy, get on your knees, shake in awe kind of response. I've had moments where the Lord has had to free me from pain, from past trauma, from the enemy's schemes. When it's been intense, almost like a battle. When I've so badly wanted more of God and more freedom in my life but equally wanted to retreat away from the uncomfortableness of that encounter. Jesus loves us so much that he doesn't leave us how we are. He loves us so much that an encounter with him is not always comfortable, but messy and raw. And that's just a side note. And then for other of us, we don't know Jesus because we've let our relationship with Jesus grow tepid. We struggle to spend time with him. Other things have got in the diary, other priorities, many distractions. We struggle to seek him every day, to enjoy intimacy with him. He's become to us an old friend, even an acquaintance, that we can bring up memories of but are not experiencing or knowing in our day-to-day. Failing to appreciate the beauty and awesomeness of Jesus is one of the reasons we may not respond in humble submission to him. We just don't truly know him. The other reason we may fail to respond in humble submission to Jesus has got more to do with us. It can be hard for us today to embody humility when it isn't a quality our culture celebrates. 
Our culture celebrates self-reliance, putting ourselves as the number one, gaining satisfaction from, from being recognized for our achievements. It celebrates being admired, unbridled self-esteem, loving one's excellence beyond limit. In essence, it celebrates self-devotion. It encourages us to be gods ourselves, to admire ourselves, and to refuse to acknowledge Jesus' rightful claim over our lives. And this is something that isn't conducive to a humble response to Jesus' invitation. If we think we're number one, if we think we're godlike, then we're not going to follow our rightful king and imitate his ways. If we think we've got this, we don't need anyone but ourselves, then we're not going to depend and trust on Jesus. So through the help of the Holy Spirit, we have to cultivate in ourselves a heart of humility. Ultimately, it's about recognizing that we know nothing and can do nothing without God. It's about realizing that we desperately need him to help us understand who we are, who he is, the world we're in, and what life is all about. It's about recognizing that everything good comes from him, that the abundance of blessings we have experienced find their source in him. We are completely and totally lost without him. We want our response to Jesus' invitation to us to be like Peter's, one of a humble submission to him. And humility is such a crucial quality of followers of Jesus. And it's actually Peter's response of humility which allows him to be used by Jesus. Peter admitting his inability, his dependence, is what was needed for Jesus to call him to the task of fishing for people. And the same goes for us. Sin, failure, and inadequacy are not obstacles to Jesus' invitation to fish for people. Jesus' mission doesn't wait until we think we're ready. Instead, Jesus wants us to realize our unworthiness, our inability to do it ourselves. He wants our humility, and in that place, he calls us and sends us and shapes us along the way. So next up, we have commitment. The third way Peter responds to Jesus' invitation is commitment. So verses 10 and 11. Then Jesus said to Simon, don't be afraid. From now on, you will fish for people. So they pulled their boats up on shore, left everything and followed him. Now, these are powerful words of commitment. They pulled their boats up on shore, left everything and followed him. Simon Peter and the other disciples left everything. The passage doesn't make it clear, but we can presume it means that they left their professions as fishermen, that huge haul of fish that would have been worth a lot, their financial stability, their social network to travel and follow Jesus, and maybe more. Their commitment to him was costly. It's not easy to leave behind things that you know, things that give you security, things you may even be good at or find pleasure in. Their commitment to him changed their lives and set them on a completely new path or direction, one towards serving Jesus and living for the kingdom. And as it was for the disciples back then, so it is for us today. Jesus invites us to a costly commitment to him, a commitment that involves leaving things behind to gain a new life with him. So what is it that we have to leave behind? The disciples here left behind their vocations, but we know through history that not all of us are called to leave our jobs and go into full-time ministry. Most of us are able to take up the invitation to follow Jesus and become fishers of people right where we are, in our homes, our workplaces, our neighborhood, and our city. But we all do need to leave some things behind to allow us to freely accept Jesus' invitation to follow him and to participate in the mission he's called us to. So what is it? 
Well, by default, if you've accepted Jesus' invitation to follow him, then you have to reject other invitations you may receive. You can't follow Jesus and someone else. For example, the world may offer you an invitation to receive happiness from doing whatever you want, whenever you want. From buying the latest technology, the latest fashion or trend, from entering into a relationship with whoever you want, from living the popular dream of a marriage and house and kids. But if you follow Jesus, you may have to say no to a number of these things. You can't say yes to both the world's invitation and Jesus' invitation to follow him. And one of the invitations I know we'll all have to say no to is the invitation to follow ourselves before Jesus. We need to all say no first to firstly following ourselves and instead commit ourselves to firstly following Jesus. And this means we'll choose to see satisfaction, happiness and purpose through the lens of the Bible and not the world or ourselves. It means choosing to see and live out morality, money, relationships, ethics, all through the lens of the Bible. In essence, living like Jesus did. It means letting go of idols and choosing not to sin. It involves sacrificing the ways we may want to live and instead surrendering our whole lives to God. Allowing Jesus to lead the way with how we spend our lives, loving him, loving others and doing the things of the kingdom. And this is a really hard one because often we just want to do what we want to do. For a number of us today, the Holy Spirit will be stirring something in you that you may need to leave behind so you can fully follow Jesus. Maybe it's control of your calendar, allowing Jesus' purposes to take the lead. Maybe it's your finances, your relationships, the way you speak to to your friends, the amount of time you spend on your phone. Whatever it is, Jesus invites you to leave it behind and take life with him in fullness instead. Because the thing is, this isn't meant to be a raw deal. We don't leave everything behind and gain nothing. We leave everything behind and gain Jesus and fullness of life. The fullness of life of being in an intimate relationship with him, within the community of a church, and with a purpose and mission to bring his kingdom here on earth. It isn't meant to be a raw deal, but the best invitation we could ever choose to accept. So Jesus invites us all to respond to him with commitment, leaving whatever it is we need to leave behind to follow him. So we have obedience, humility, and commitment. And these are the three ways that Peter responds to Jesus' invitation to follow him. And he's inviting us all today to respond to that invitation to follow him afresh in those three ways. But Jesus Jesus doesn't leave Peter and his disciples there. He doesn't leave us there today without inviting us to participate in his purpose and his mission. So verse 10, then Jesus said to Simon, don't be afraid. From now on, you will fish for people. So Jesus invites Peter into mission to fish for people. And as Jesus's disciples, we're called to the same mission today. As I said earlier, Peter is a representative disciple for all the other disciples. The call to fish for people was not unique to him. The invitation is for all disciples of Jesus. It's for the church. It's for us. We're all called to fish for people. Well, what does that mean? Because clearly it's not literal. I said I went on a water sports holiday earlier, but fishing for people was unsurprisingly not one of the activities. Well, the phrase fish for people is more literally translated as catch people alive. Unlike fish that are caught to be killed and devoured, the disciples are called to capture people to bring them alive in Jesus. 
They're no longer catching fish to sell them in the market, but are called to catch people to give them freedom in Christ. Jesus transforms the fish he saves into fishermen, ready to capture people for him. And Jesus has caught us too, so we must become catchers ourselves. Bringing people to know him is not optional, but an integral part of knowing and loving him. This is a mission for us individually and for us as a church. We're called as individuals to use our gifts, our resources, our time and money for mission. But we're called to use them together to be on a people-catching mission as a family. And at Manchester Vineyard, we take seriously our call as individuals as a, and as a church to fish for people. We want to be a church that takes, takes risks, shares our faith and invites people to put their trust in him. We want to be a church that fishes for people and invites those people to fish for people themselves. And we foresee that this commitment to the lost will lead us to, lead to multiplying small groups and churches in our region and beyond. So the last part of this talk, we're going to briefly look at how understanding first century fishing helps us appreciate principles for fishing for people today. So fishing in the first century looks very different to fishing today. Fishing back then didn't involve a rod and a reel. It involved these huge nets that fishermen would throw overboard again and again, slowly dragging them in the water, hoping to catch fish. And this would happen all night. No bait was used, but rather time and repeated effort caught the fish. And after a fishing session, lots of time was needed to manually clean and repair those nets. So firstly, thinking about tools. Back in the day, fishermen used nets, but today to fish for people, we have the gospel. The gospel is a good news that Jesus has come to restore everything that was broken and to save us. The gospel is a net we need to catch people for Jesus. So we need to share it with those that don't know him. And I think sometimes we struggle with the gospel for a number of reasons. Some of us are ashamed of it. The gospel in our word today can sound a bit foolish, even absurd. I mean, it centers around a guy coming back to life after all. But Paul says in Romans 1:16, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, because it is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes. The fact that Paul says that he's not ashamed of the gospel suggests that some people were ashamed of the gospel. But the gospel has the power that brings people to salvation. It's the power of God to catch people and bring them into relationship with Jesus. I was saved by the gospel, and if you know, know Jesus, so were you. The gospel is responsible for the faith of everyone in this room, for everyone in this church. We have no reason to be ashamed of the gospel, because it has the power to save us. And I think the other reason we may struggle with the gospel is because we can get caught up on trying to share the perfect gospel presentation, which just doesn't exist. Instead, we're just called to bring the gospel into everyday life and conversation. So I was chatting to a non-Christian friend recently. She had finished her degree and was applying for jobs. And she was really stuck and anxious. She wanted to be satisfied at work, but didn't know what to do to ensure that that would happen. And when we delved a bit deeper, she was generally just really dissatisfied with her life. It wasn't that anything was wrong, but something was missing. She was constantly looking for the next thing to satisfy her, which is why she had so much anxiety over her job choice. So through the lens of purpose, I explained the gospel to her, how knowing Jesus gives us the basis of our identity and purpose, how we've messed things up as humanity and how we need to turn to God to see restoration. 
how we have an exciting mission and purpose as Christians to partner with God to see this restoration. And it caught her attention. She wondered if by knowing God, she would know purpose and satisfaction in her work and maybe even her whole life. And so she agreed to do an Alpha course so she could find out more about him. The gospel is a tool we use to fish for people. We just need to be ready to share it in everyday life and everyday conversation as it's relevant to all we do and all that we are. And then secondly, we need to be fishing for people regularly. The fishermen fished most nights, dropping their nets again and again. Our invitation to fish for people can't just happen once a month, but it's an everyday activity, one that happens again and again and again. Now this can seem scary, fishing for people once can feel like quite a challenge, but we're not expected to take every person we meet from a staunch atheist to a devout believer. This is a joint endeavor as a local and as a global church where each interaction with a Christian can provide a way for someone to become closer to Jesus. I like to look at it as, as inviting people to take their next step, whatever it may be for them. For some, it might be opening up the possibility of there being a God through open conversation about your faith. For others, it's inviting them to a social activity with your Christian friends. For others, it's sharing your testimony so people can see how Jesus makes a difference in people's lives. For others, it's inviting them to church or to Alpha for the first time. For others, it's inviting people to leave everything and follow him. In our multiple interactions every day with those that don't know Jesus, we just need to invite them to take their next step. And this way, we can play our part in fishing for people every day. Thirdly, the results aren't up to us, but they're up to God. The huge haul of fish the fishermen caught wasn't an accident. It was the hand of God. And the same goes for fishing for people. People accepting Jesus' invitation to follow him is an act of God. So we need to take the pressure off ourselves and put, that safe, put the pressure of results back into God's hands and instead focus on what we can do. God is the one who saves. It's not us. Fourthly, nearly there. At times, fishing for people may feel like hard work. Fishing in the first century was a tough profession. It was tiring physically and would require long hours. Sometimes the fishermen would get a good catch, but sometimes they, would, they wouldn't and they'd just have to keep going and going. And the same is for us. Catching people is an everyday business that requires effort every day. It's not automatic, but requires us to work, to try, to take risks. It requires us to be diligent, persevering and courageous, ready to share the gospel even in the face of criticism, rejection or indifference. Ultimately, it requires continual obedience as we try it again and again and trust and depend on Jesus for the results. We need to be prepared to put in the hard work day by day in order to, effect, in order to effectively and faithfully serve Jesus in our calling to fish for people. And then fifthly and lastly, it's worth noting that the miraculous catch leads Peter to follow Jesus. And incredibly today, because we have the Holy Spirit in us, we are empowered to do the miraculous stuff Jesus did. We're called to combine both word and deed. The same spirit that empowered Jesus to do his ministry on earth empowers us. When we read stories of Jesus healing the sick, casting out demons, setting people free, we're meant to think that this is what it looks like for a human to be empowered by the Holy Spirit. This is what it could look like for me or you to be empowered by the Holy Spirit. 
on one of our Alpha courses, we had a lady there who suffered from severe anxiety, daily, constant, crippling anxiety. During Holy Spirit night, we prayed for healing, and the lady described feeling peace flood over her in that moment, and her anxiety left her completely. She almost immediately proclaimed to have a faith in Jesus. She'd learned all about the cross and resurrection in previous weeks. And a few months later, she got baptized, and she's been a committed Christian ever since. So we're to go out to the ends of the earth and continue Jesus' ministry. We are to heal, raise the sick, no, raise the dead, and set people free. This is part of what it looks like to fish for people. We combine both word and deed, proclamation and demonstration. So we've been on quite a journey today, and I believe Jesus is inviting us afresh to respond to his invitation, to be obedient to his word, even if it doesn't suit our agenda, to be aware of our unworthiness in comparison to his ultimate worthiness, to leave everything behind, including ourselves, to follow him, and to take up our nets and catch people for him. So what's our response going to be? Amazement isn't enough. Opposition would be silly. Jesus invites us again and again to trust and follow him, to respond to his invitation in obedience, humility, and commitment. If you're able, could you stand? We're just going to take a moment to invite the Holy Spirit. He's been here with us this whole morning, but... I'm just going to invite him to manifest his presence amongst us afresh. So yeah, we'll just invite you guys to, if, you, if you'd like to, you can close your eyes, open up your hands, whatever posture it is um, that helps you receive from him. Yeah, we invite you, come Holy Spirit. Come move amongst us. Have your way. Petzl's done such a good job this morning of painting a picture of Jesus, and he is here. He is alive. And he is beckoning us, just come. And there's been people praying this morning for the service, and one of the senses that some people have had is just that it's a morning for pushing through. Some of the kind of rational reasons we have for keeping Jesus at bay, some of the excuses we come up with, just to hear him and see him afresh standing right before us saying, come. Jesus, we invite you. Would you just be softening hearts, just showing yourself afresh, stirring people, come. Saying those words, come, 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 come to me.
I think there's a number of things that the Holy Spirit wants to do this morning. And one of them that's just come into my mind is that I think that there's people in the room that you just want to know more of Jesus. Um, when we speak about humbly submitting before him, um, trusting him fully, following him, that's not something you find easy. It's not something you jump to. It's something you might be struggling with. Mm. And actually Jesus' invitation in this moment is to discover, to see, to experience more of him. Mm. And one of the ways we can do that is through prayer, through meeting with his spirit. And the other thing is, I think, is a real call to obedience this morning. Mm. It's not easy being fully obedient to Jesus. Mm. And I think there'll be some of you in the room that you know you need prayer for that. Mm. You know you need someone to come alongside you, mm. to, to pray with you, um, for strength, for everything you need to be obedient in all areas of your life. Yeah, likewise, I just have a really strong sense that there's just some habits in the room this morning that God is calling people out of. For some people, it may be stuff that they're, you know, you're pretty ashamed of, or it's really difficult to even imagine coming before Jesus that way. Or it might be just really innocuous stuff, really everyday stuff. But following Him is such a practical thing. And so I do think for some of you, there's just something in your life that's come up, or is coming up now. And He's just saying, well, give me that then. Will you give me that? Thanks for listening. To find out more, head to manchestervineyard.org or follow the link in the podcast description.